Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. Today, welcome to another exciting episode of Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our favorite show, movie series, Star Trek. And today, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, the Doctor. Hello. Hello, Doctor. Very good to see you. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Star Trek Beyond. We're a little bit late in our uh, discussion about Star Trek Beyond, but uh, a few things occurred. Um, the doctor was on an excursion, and <laughs> unfortunately, uh, he was, uh, he's been plagued by uh, Aldebaran palsy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to take a minute, and uh, do you mind if I tell everyone what's going on? Sure, okay? go ahead, go ahead. So there's, this, there's a thing that it's not uncommon, and it's not super common, Un, you know, it's not super common either, called Bell's palsy. And so um, when you get this, uh, part of your face actually can become paralyzed and mm -hmm. your um, your speech is diminished. And so is uh, sometimes you can't blink and, you know, part of your face, you know, it's just not working. And my friend Humbert, who his handle is the doctor who joins us here week to week, um, has gotten this Bell's palsy uh, and it uh, is bilateral in your situation. Yeah, I just found out it was bilateral. It's usually just half, but in this case yeah. it's uh, both sides. But as you can see it um, basically I can't smile and I can't raise my eyebrows. I can't do this, this walk, you know. Um... And uh, my speech is a bit impaired, but other than that, I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, you sound, yeah, your speech is just a little bit different, but you sound pretty much like you always do. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you get tired, let me know, and we'll cut the episode short. No, <laughs> actually, I want to say the, the, <laughs> the very last thing that I enjoyed before it, I was stricken with this was Star Trek Beyond. You, yes, you went to see Star Trek Beyond, and I, I think, well, I mean, you enjoyed it, so you've already told us a little bit of what you think. But um, now, uh, a few little announcements before we get into our, uh, into our actual uh, discussion about Star Trek Beyond. One, Starfleet Boy is now also simulcast as a podcast. So if you head over to iTunes and search for Starfleet Boy, you can download our uh, podcast version. And it's a little bit different. It has an opening and closing theme, so you'll be able to, uh, to, to, to hear it at a higher quality as well because 
we also record it um, differently, but not until you won't hear that higher quality till much later. I mean, we do also pre-record a lot of episodes, so this Star Trek Beyond review is going to be higher quality, but then you'll go back to the previous uh, quality until we catch up again. Uh, and I just want to s- give a shout out to 8-Bit Universe, uh, who uh, are responsible for the wonderful uh, 8-Bit theme. Did you you heard it, right, Yes, Doctor? yes. It, it reminded me of um, my days of using the Commodore VIC-20. The Commodore VIC-20? I, oh, wow. I haven't thought about that guy in a long time. <laughs> so I'll go into a quick uh, summary about Star Trek Beyond. Um, we haven't talked about the other Star Treks on Starfleet Boy yet, but if you tune into Drunk Space Nine, you can hear our drunk reviews of Star Trek, which we called Redrunk, Star Trek Into Drunkness, and then <laughs> Star Trek, <laughs> yeah, and then Star Trek Beyond Drunk was the, uh, <laughs> was the last one. Um, yeah, it's true. I wish I could smile. And, <laughs> I'm sorry. We know you're smiling, Doctor, and we really appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Considering uh, you know you're not a, you're not at a hundred percent. Star Trek Beyond takes takes uh, starts up just a few years. About I think that it's about three years into their five year mission, uh, and uh, we see a crew that's kind of you know. Uh, seeing the toll of space travel, deep space travel uh, on them. Uh, there's a really nice montage with, you know, showing, like, people and their relationships and, you know, the various things that are happening. And it's a beautifully kind of, a beautiful kind of opening with uh, Captain's Log um, narrating this montage. And then we're, uh, the ship, the Enterprise is approaching uh, a deep space uh Station called uh, Space Station Yorktown, and they're going there for like a just a you know resupply and kind of a little bit of shore leave. And uh, you know, after spending a little time there and getting uh, you know, getting some time with um, the Commodore, Commodore Paris, uh, Captain Kirk and the crew, um, go back out into uh, the great beyond. Oh, wait, sorry. I skipped something. They receive a, uh, while they're at the Yorktown, uh, a ship, a damaged ship approaches, and they are able to rescue um, uh, an alien who is informs them that they're, the rest of her crew is waiting in this nebula. Um, they're stranded on, on a planet. <clears throat> and uh, so the Enterprise is dispatched to go and rescue on a rescue mission. They go through this nebula and when they get there it's it turns out to be a trap. And the Enterprise is uh completely demolished. I mean it's just destroyed in a way that there's there's no question about uh about it being destroyed. And then the crew is stranded on this planet and then we meet um we also meet our villain who is basically um, you know, pushing back uh, to the, this is where the frontier pushes back, as he says. He thinks that the Federation is a sham. He doesn't think it's real. That 
you know, they're not uh, really, um, the Federation's mission is not really peace, and he's intent on uh, going to Yorktown Station and destroying it as well to prove and send a message um, to the Federation to basically stay back. No more exploration. Don't go any further. And, of course, you know, uh, that's not what we're going to do. Starfleet and the Federation are not about giving up so easily, so uh, the rest of the movie is a wild and entertaining romp uh, of the crew trying to get back to Yorktown Station to save the day. And, of course, in Star Trek style, they do in a very interesting way, mind you. And at the end of the day, uh, it is revealed that our villain was actually once uh, a human who's somehow transformed his uh, genetic makeup through the use of alien technology and uh, is, you know, just bent on sort of, uh, you know, trying to destroy the Federation. But he fails, ultimately. And uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy are uh, victorious and, you know, back on board a new Enterprise, the Enterprise A, and that's it. Pretty simple. Not too complicated, right? Did I nail it? I can't... Yeah, it's been a few days since I've seen it. <laughs> no, yeah, I think uh, I think you nailed it. Um, the... Uh, thoughts. Thoughts. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll break it down into what I liked and what I didn't like. Uh, the... Um, what I liked were the character interactions. I thought... Uh, the way that uh, the characters were were broken up into uh, into into uh, into pairs, you know, uh, Kirk with Chekhov, essentially uh, Scotty with the uh, the new character who was added. Uh, oh, I totally forgot to mention her in the summary. <laughs> well, we'll go into detail now. Uh, Jayla, yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, yeah. she's, she's a new character. Interesting character. Interesting too. character. Um. Who well, I'll I'll speculate later, but um, obviously McCoy with uh, with Spock and uh, Sulu with Uhura, and I thought um, you know I like the I like the fact that it had a uh, a setup kind of like uh, Star Trek Four, where you know for a while various casts members were you know paired off. And we're doing different things in service to the story. Um, so I liked that. Um, the visuals were excellent. Oh, yeah, they were really phenomenal. Starting with the, the Yorktown, the, the, that station, um, which uh, McCoy, I think, uh, describes it as a snow globe in I space. Know, and. By the way, that was a great scene because, you know, he, he's like, why don't they just build it on a planet, you know, or, or whatever, or what have you. Instead, they've got this, like, snow globe-looking thing. And that was such a Dr. McCoy it accurate was. type thing, you know, that little interplay actually between the three of them was really funny. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed um, the entire crew's dynamics a lot more in this movie than in the previous two uh, Star Trek Kelvin films. I thought they were so natural together. I think that it took, it may have taken them a couple of of pictures before 
you know, which is okay. That's that's kind of a, a thing that you might expect. But I thought they were very natural. They they I think they have it down pat. They know exactly when uh, to do a characterization, and they know exactly when to be uh, to to you know branch off from that. So I thought that was an excellent excellent um, thing. Yeah, um, the visuals of the Yorktown, the uh, the visuals of the of the planet itself. You know, I liked the landscape of the planet, and um, I think uh, I think they did a great job realizing that. You know, Star Trek, um, you know, a lot of it seemed to be shot outside, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't really think the Star Trek movies have a lot of that. You know, in in previous films, they're usually, you know, set bound. You know, um, if you look at, I mean, let's take let's take a look at the in the original movies. You know, Star Trek one, two, uh, three, and six. Well, six had some outside location filming, but for the most part, they're sets. But this movie, you were outside. Um, in this way, it it. it it actually has that in common with uh, Insurrection, which has a lot of... Um, oh, yeah, the they actually do abandon the... Um, oh, no, sorry, yeah, not Insurrection. Insurrection had a lot of outside, but so did First Contact. And First Contact, correct. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. of those movies have a lot of uh, location filming, and Generations, actually, has quite a bit, too, now that I think about it. So... Uh, with the original crew, I'm used to thinking of them on a on a set, not really outside so much. And these people are, you know, in the shirt of the original crew. So I thought the visuals of the planet were very good. And um, um, what I didn't like was the 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 villain. Right, crawl. So I, I thought the same thing. I did, I you know I think that like um, so far of the three villains that we've seen, um, Nero, Khan, and Crawl. Who who do you like the most? Who do I like the most? Uh, Nero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's the most original. Yeah. Of the three villains, and you you feel him like you kind of mm-hmm. you know, but crawl. I'm not exactly sure how we're supposed to feel about him, really. How do you, like, how do you feel about I Carl? think that, for me, I think that the, the definitely the main sort of place where this film falls short is Crawl. Um, I wanted to, I thought it was cool that he was, um, oh, first of all, we, sh- we should say, state, and everyone should know, this show is littered with spoilers so if you're listening to it oh yeah (laughs) you you probably already realized that by now (laughs) um anyway so crawl uh crawl is definitely um interesting and has a lot of potential because i liked the fact that he was a starship captain i liked also that he was a soldier before that and i liked that he was disillusioned with starfleet and i liked uh even the stuff about how he found this technology. Um, but there's something that goes wrong with the storytelling because he stays, you know, very two dimensional. He doesn't really, I, I never felt like his 
uh, his, I didn't, I didn't, my heart wasn't in his cause. I was just like, oh, it's just kind of like, he's just doing this, but it's not very, there's not, there's no real impetus behind it or, or, you know, other than he's disgruntled. And I don't know. I, I feel like he's been around for a hundred years mm-hmm. uh, that, that should have like tempered him by now, but he seems like he's just gotten angrier. And then the actual MacGuffin, as we talked about earlier in a side conversation, the, the deadly weapon, yeah. uh, didn't seem very dead. I mean, like we had the, the, um, red matter was very kind of cool and scary and like, it definitely had a scary effect. I mean, it, it, um, it could, envelop an entire world by creating a, a, a singularity. Uh, and then in um, uh, Into Darkness, you know, there is the threat of these genetically superior um, beings all being woken up. And imagine 75 of them, you know, all in, 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 you know, at Khan's command, like they could probably, you know, rule, rule the planet. And then the vengeance was pretty cool. I thought that was, that's what I was going to say is I think in that movie, the vengeance is definitely the, uh, the specter that looms over, or that movie. I mean, that's really the menace that you're afraid of. Right. And then, you know, and then you, we see all the destruction it causes when it crash lands on, on earth. And then Mm. in this movie, it was kind of like the red matter redone as like a, a foggy sandy material, you know I mean? It Mm -hmm. wasn't like, and, and I wasn't really clear, you know, it was almost like the Thaleron radiation in Star Trek nemesis. Like it's just something that's been done, been done before. And, um, it didn't seem like very cool, but you know what? Um, that's pretty much the only place that this movie fails for me. And I was delighted by so much of it that I'm willing to even just kind of look past it and think, you know what, <laughs> just to watch the crew interact with each other and just kind of like the, the, uh, the way that they get out of the situation to me is just, just a lot of fun. And, and I enjoyed it on that level very much. I, I really liked, um, the, the finding of the USS Franklin. That was cool. I liked the, re- yeah, I like the references to uh, Enterprise that that were given in that scene. I enjoyed um, Jayla's character a lot. I thought she was very spunky and kind of cool. And, like, you can tell she might even join Starfleet, if I'm not mistaken. That's kind of, like, the, the idea is that she's probably going to join Starfleet and become an engineer, probably. You know what I was... I was just thinking as uh, you were... Uh, describing the the summary, and uh, you know we, we need to you know of course touch on the fact that uh, there are you know we the this actor passed away the actor who um, who played Chekhov played Chekhov yeah Anton Yelchin yeah yeah which was you know very very sad because he mm-hmm. was a, a great talent and uh, he's of course he's excellent in the movie and. Um, you know, he he's he always stands out when he's you know when he was in these movies, and I'm wondering if um, what would you think if they brought back the the what's her what's her what's the alien's name? Jayla. Jayla. Where Jayla was added to the crew. Oh, you know, I would really like that. Actually, that would be really awesome, and. Um... You know, it'd be it'd be neat to have a crew member that's 
and an, another crew member that's an alien to further diversify the bridge as one imagines an actual Starfleet bridge, you know, Starship bridge would be in in the future. So I, I actually would enjoy that too, and I wouldn't mind at all. I thought she was a great character, and you know, she did. She like uh, had a really nice sort of. Uh, rapport with all of the actors you know all the characters she had a great rapport of course with Scotty who she discovers and then uh, even with Kirk you know there's a little interesting tension going on and she calls the Franklin her ship <laughs> right yeah I right. think that was cool too I mean I, it's very sad that, that this actor has passed away but um, and they've already announced that there's no intentions to recast which I think is 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 right? It's the correct thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this movie actually, you know, uh, oddly enough, presents an option for a replacement. Um, I mean, I think I think that character, you know, works, and I think it would be very interesting. Again, like you just said, to have another alien on board the bridge, because really, you know, we have. Spock, which is not... I mean, you know, we're used to the ears at this point. But then we have... <laughs> what's the little guy? It's, oh, the Oyster Man. I forget his whatever name. Whatever his name is. You know, it would be cool. Although, you know who I liked in the movie? The woman with the... Um, the head that opens up. Oh, yeah. That was so cool. Where they actually hid the uh, device for a little while. Um, that was another great scene. So many great scenes. The Sulu was fantastic. Uh, in this movie, and I guess we should touch upon the big debate. Um, so, what did you think of Gay Sulu? Well, um, you know, I uh, doesn't it doesn't bother me. Um, me neither. And I and I I want to say I don't understand what the big deal was all about. I mean, like the scene is so it's not even really uh, it doesn't even really affect the film in any way. It's not like you know, they're not like making out or, or doing it or anything like that. It's a really sweet, touching scene where they arrive at the spaceport and his husband and his daughter are waiting for them. And it's just, just implied very casually and very nicely. And um, there's a really nice moment. Kirk kind of takes notice. And mm-hmm. that, that was really cool. I thought that was great. I mean, I mean to be honest, um, I mean, as a, as a, as a, as a purist, uh, I think the thing that bothers me more is still the Spock Uhura combination. That I still don't. I'm not fully enamored of that. Of, of that, you know, change in in the uh, the cast dynamic. But adding something beyond what we saw in the cast, I don't mind because we really never saw. Anything of Sulu's life, aside from having a daughter, which we see in Generations, right. which this movie shows, he, he has a daughter. So they're still following with the continuity. They're just adding that he had a, a husband instead of a wife. So right. it's not really conflicting with anything that we saw in in any of the movies. Whereas Spock and Uhura is, I mean. I was actually kind of happy that they look like they might not be together, um, you know, at the beginning of the movie. I was actually kind of like, oh, okay, good. Let's let's get this out of the way. 
But I think they've come back at the end, so. Yeah, oh, well. I think so too. And I think that, um, I think for me, uh, yeah, I mean, like, Star Trek V clearly establishes that, uh, that uh, <laughs> Scotty, there is chemistry between Scotty and Uhura. So. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> but so, you think that's... <laughs> Go ahead. I, uh, my next question for you is, as the 50th anniversary film, how do you think, uh, as far as, like, celebrating the 50th anniversary now the last big anniversary was the 25th anniversary and uh in 1992 and star trek 6 was released in 91 so it was kind of like the anniversary picture you know was star trek 6 and that we know is a really epic it was star trek 6 is just phenomenal way to kick off the 25th anniversary plus it was a sign it was a big deal because it was signing off the original crew correct um so what did you think of the 50th anniversary message? Was there a message, or do you think it, like, celebrated Star Trek? Um, what do you think? I was let down in, in that sense. I don't, I don't think... Uh, I think Star Trek VI felt like more of a celebration of what Star Trek was, and um, I personally felt more connected to that movie. Um, this movie gave us a token, you know, the image that Spock gets. Oh, of, yeah. Uh, which I'm sure you cried when you saw it. I So, yeah, that was the part where kind of the floodgates just kind of opened and, and, yeah. and oceans of tears flowed from my eyes. It was a very sweet moment. So both Kirk and Spock in the film are contemplating uh, leaving uh, Starfleet. And... Uh, what seems to change Spock's mind is he finds... Uh, they did a really touching scene, by the way. They're, the dilemma is that, um, you know, prime Spock has passed away. Mm-hmm. And so now um, Kelvin Spock is faced with the uh, idea of, you know, duty, sort of... He's faced with the duty of repopulating and reconstituting Vulcan society. And... Um, and, you know, so he's thinking about leaving Starfleet and, um, you know, and Jim at the same time is also thinking of leaving Starfleet and he even recommends uh, Spock for the command. So it's funny that they both haven't told each other that they're thinking of you leaving. You just called him uh, Jim? Yeah, I did. <laughs> hey, it's casual and informal. Wow. <laughs> wow. I also sometimes say Jean-Luc, whatever. <laughs> but, um... Captain Kirk is also thinking of leaving Starfleet. And what changes Captain Kirk's mind, obviously, is the entire sort of struggle that he goes through and realizing that what he wants most is actually to be the captain of of a starship, especially the Enterprise. But um, what changes Spock's mind, I think, is when he sees this picture of the Prime Universe crew... And And it happens to be a cast shot from Star Trek VI, I believe... And um, he sees that they all kind of grew old and happy together and realizes that maybe his place is actually on the Enterprise. And even Prime Spock was so adamant about it, you know, and he was so insistent. So I liked it a lot. And I do think that that was a very nice kind of way to celebrate the 50th anniversary. Um, because, like, what else could they really do? These actors haven't been there for the, the, the last 50 years. Really, the 50th anniversary, I think, 
is more celebrated through the original cast, you know, the remaining original cast, and also Next Generation have a pretty good stake in that as far as time. But I thought it was a nice nod to the original series uh, crew. And actually, Doctor, I have some show and tell for you oh. this time. I do. That's uh, so right. When I was in 1992, I went to the Paramount Experience at at this time it was uh, it was at Universal Studios. It wasn't. I think it was like a different. It was like a little Star Trek experience that you could you go to Universal oh, Studios. Yeah. You go to Universal yes. Studios and you you got to make a little video, which is somewhere. I have to find this video, but there's a video of me on the bridge of the Enterprise, oh. like. Doing my thing. I think my mom and dad might be in it, and my sister, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, (laughs) you get to make this little video. And uh, at the shop, they had, like, a couple of cool things for sale. And my mom convinced me to purchase, she was very kind, this Star Trek jean jacket. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Yeah, so I have a Star Trek jean jacket with an embroidered uh, insignia over here in the front. And uh then re- oh, I've lost, I lost my uh, Starfleet Academy pin that was on here. Oh, I wonder where that's gone. Anyways, on the back of the jacket, look at that, a larger, a larger insignia, and it wow, and it says twenty fifth anniversary nineteen ninety one, one. Oh yeah, so ninety one was this, not ninety two. So nineteen ninety one twentieth twenty fifth anniversary. And for those of you listening to the podcast, I'll post a picture of this jacket on um, the Starfleet Boy page. So. That's extraordinary. That's very Star Trek V. It, <laughs> it's a very Star Trek V thing to have a jean jacket, you mean? Like yes, Captain like McCoy. McCoy, I think, yeah, wore a jean jacket. McCoy was wearing a jean jacket, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, that was like, and it still it fits, but it's a little, it's cropped. It's, now it's like a... It's like a short crop now, so it's a little weird. <laughs> the fit's a little strange, so I can't can't really wear it. Um, but I hope to uh, pass it on to a niece or nephew or, you know, someone in the future, uh, some young person who's into Star Trek and worthy of the jacket. It'll be passed on like Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. See, the 24th anniversary felt like something very special I remember. Remember there was uh there was a special on television. Do you remember? Oh yeah, well I mean there's been stuff like that, but now it's like there's two Star Treks, right? So like we're kind of disjointed. There's like there's no show right now on the air to celebrate. The films are in a different kind of timeline. So and they even have now distinguished them and you know we understand that they're now there's a Kelvin timeline and a prime timeline. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot. I think you touched on this in, in one of our previous discussions is that, that it feels very sort of disjointed. But at the same time, I am enjoying some of the things like the, the San Diego Comic-Con panel. I haven't finished listening to all that, but, it you know, there's a lot of interesting and fun things there. And I think um, what is the actual date of the anniversary, do you know? Um, it's coming up soon. Hold on, it's I'll like call September. you. I think I have it here. Uh, actually, I do not. Well, I suspect we'll see more stuff coming out by then. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, did, I agree with you that it didn't feel like a 50th anniversary 
celebration in the film. But at the same time, I don't know if it needed to. I thought that, you know, what they did worked worked pretty well. Um, anything else about the movie? No, but the, uh, the thing that you went to at Universal Studios, I have, this is the... Uh, this is the official silver anniversary guide to um, the 25th anniversary here. And this kind of talks about all the different aspects of Star Trek at that time. And here they have what you were just talking about. Oh, there it is, yeah. Right there. I don't know if I should bring it closer to the camera. No, you got it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Right. So, and I think there's a, a shot of the of the of the bridge right there, and it's uh it's quite extraordinary. I would love to see that video. If you find I, it, I gotta find. Yeah, I have to find it. I used to know where it was, but it's been many years since I've thought about watching it. Um, and it, I, I guess 1991 was a pretty cool time. I think I was still in middle school, maybe, or was it just the beginnings of high school? I think. Mm-hmm. I think I just started the ninth grade or whatever, and no, it was a really neat. It was a really neat time to be a kid in high school, and a really neat time for Star Trek, as a matter of fact, because um, Star Trek: The Next Generation was now in its like third or fourth season, and you know I think DS Nine's about to start. So there's a lot going on in the Star Trek in the Star Trek universe or the world, so to speak. So getting back to the. The, the Star Trek Beyond. Um, another thing that I really liked about the movie were the different aliens that we saw. Oh, right. Because it was, it, was, it was the girl with the, the thing that you would, you know, put in her head. You, you had um, the captain, that alien captain... Mm-hmm. And I love the Universal Translator. By oh, the way. talk to me about that! Yeah, <laughs> the Universal Translator was really well done um, and interpreted in, in a great way. And uh, I, I like I like the the scene where she's like kind of in inside like this mainframe or whatever, and it's figuring her language out. And then there's a portable version that goes w- along with her. And what about the little things, the little guys that were attacking Kirk at the beginning? Oh, okay, so that's another great... You're right. So, yeah, that was really cute, too. Like, And a, and a fun scene showing, you know, uh, that all their missions are not always dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They can be... They are dramatic, but maybe, you know, fun as well. And I thought those... Uh, the, the, the perspective was very funny when... Um, when we thought there were these giant creatures and then <laughs> one of them comes over to attack Kirk and he's a, he's a little guy. Yeah, that was great. And I like the humor where he's like, I, I ripped another shirt. That was a great yeah, line. That was, that was really funny. That was a great um, line. Yeah, there were a lot of great, again, the characters were just on point. Um, and once again, stellar performances by all of the cast. Now, I need to kind of point out that... Um, we weren't really sure what what this movie was going to be like. Uh, we had a lot of reservations, particularly around um, the director Justin Lin, who, you know, we kind of did something that happens so often and it's wrong. But we pigeonholed him as a 
action director, you know, with uh, Fast and the Furious films. And so I want to go on record and say that Justin Lin, you uh, you really delivered a fantastic film. And um, I had very low expectations because of the marketing of this movie and just kind of like the anti-hype that was going on. I, I bought into it and was scared. And I was extremely delighted um, when I saw the final film and you know, again, not not a completely perfect film because some of the things like the villain and, you know, for me personally didn't work. But I thought that overall the film worked really well. And I even, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I'm not and I, and I keep going back and forth. But my thought is that for me, this is probably the most original in the Kelvin timeline because the first one, uh, Star Trek, the the reboot isn't allowed to be completely original. It it had to do a lot of, like, you know, explanation and had to, like, kind of incorporate a lot of things. But but anyways, they're neck and neck for me, I feel. Um, I keep thinking I really love this one more than all the other two, uh, the other, you know, all three of them in, in the three new films. I, I go back from loving this one the best to, you know, loving Star Trek the best. So for me, it's a... It's a it, there's a debate still going on, but I'm I really love this movie. Well, um, I'll say this is that I think um, I think definitely the movie works as escapist entertainment. I mean, just as on pure adrenaline and mm-hmm. summer fun and action, it's very very good. Having said that, Star Trek has more often than not delivered a little bit more. And I I don't think it delivers as a hundred percent as a Star Trek movie. I I think it's it's very um, very caught up in the action. From you know you go from the action of the Enterprise being destroyed, which is uh, in, in many ways the highlight of the movie. To, you know, you know, extended action sequences on the ground, you know, Kirk and Chekhov uh, on the saucer, and um, Spock and McCoy, you know, running away from these people, uh, to recovering the Franklin, well, actually uh, rescuing the crew, then the Franklin doing the little you know, uh, escape from the planet, kickstart, right. kickstart, and then the final, uh, battle, which is split into, you know, the Enterprise taking on the swarm, and then the mano a mano between Kirk and, uh, Kral, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's very much action, 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 and there's not a lot of, okay, Wait a minute. What's really going on here? Who is this guy? Um, you know, what's 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 all the people that have been captured? Where are all these people who have been on this planet? What is that little thing? How did it leave the planet in the first place? There's a lot of questions that I think, um, you know, if you watch other Star Trek movies, they stop to answer in general. This movie does not. This movie is primarily concerned with entertaining you on a popcorn level, which is fine, 
That's what it is. It's a summer movie. And it delivers as a summer movie. That is a Star Trek movie. I think it's it's lacking in the um in the story in the story development, in the in the plotting. Um I would like to have known more about what was really going on. Um but, you know, again, um it's 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 um I guess at this point it's apples and oranges. I mean, I think the Star think- Trek movies are going more in this action, action, action direction and kind of leaving the uh, more story-oriented. I mean, there, there, there was... Um, there's something that I think uh, a lot of... There, there might be a lot of um, opportunities that were missed to do just straight-up exposition-type mm-hmm. storytelling, and I agree with you on that regard. But I also noticed that, you know... A lot of science fiction that has a lot of action. Uh, for example, we like to talk about our other favorite show, Doctor Who, and 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 I think that something interesting that Doctor Who does, which may be why Star Trek does it as well, is that they just kind of throw the exposition into the action. So you have the Doctor running around, you know, doing some kind of action, and he's explaining really intense kind of like technical things or you know, things about the story or things like that while they're running around and doing all this stuff. And so I find that, like, when I watch Doctor Who or rewatch it, then I'm like, uh, then usually I'm like, oh, I missed that. I totally missed that because I was focused on the action. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, this movie does that too. And I think I definitely remember... Now, mind you, when I saw Star Trek, it was the midnight showing and I'd been drinking. Uh, (laughs) So I got to go back and watch it again. Um, you know, and just kind of like pay a little bit more attention. But I, the impression that I have is that a lot of the exposition about crawl and like the history is kind of thrown into these like intense scenes, these intense action scenes. And so, you know, we it's, missed that. It's, it's, it's like, at the last. I'll tell you exactly what happened. It's in the last mm-hmm. ten minutes of the movie. Oh yeah, and you can't really yeah you can't buy into a villain like that. So yeah, there was definitely. I agree with you that it was missed, you know, missed opportunity to, uh, there could have just been one scene, maybe, you know, uh, five minutes, six minutes scene, just crawl talking to Uhura. He seemed to like really relate to her or like her. And so there could have been a a better scene. I know that they tried, but yeah, it's just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, the movie was good. (laughs) I enjoyed it. Uh, It would be a movie that I would enjoy rewatching, but you know, I mean, when you really put it up against Star Trek Two, Star Trek Four, Star Trek Six, even the first Kelvin Star Trek, which had a lot of heart, um, this movie—I mean, it's not it's, so much for you. Yeah, I, I have to live with it more. But what am I complaining? One of my complaints previously was that I thought that the Enterprise didn't get enough love. I also thought that Kirk didn't love the Enterprise as much as he should. And I feel like this movie did address some of those things. I think that we did get these beautiful shots of the Enterprise that we, you know, kind of like they they hold the camera on it a little longer. We see it, you know, just a little longer before it's destroyed. And I really loved um, it was another touching scene 
there were a few touching scenes in the film, but I really love the scene where Chekhov and Kirk kind of uh, are heading back to the Enterprise Hull uh, saucer section, and they're looking at the wreckage, and you know, it, it's very, it looks like despair. And I think Chekhov makes some kind of comment about, you know, how she's done. And Kirk says uh, that, you know... He, she's still he got knows, a few tricks of her, yeah. yeah. In her, left in her, and he knows it. Like, he's very confident about it. So there was, like, this love. I also enjoyed the... During the d- destruction sequence, I really loved when Uhura uh, initiated the saucer separation, even though it was initiated already, in a <laughs> sense. But she, like, actually disengaged the... The, the drive section from the saucer section and I thought that was a really cool scene and it was neat how Kirk bought her the time to do that and mm-hmm. you know, that's how they got separated and no, it's just a lot of great moments in the movie but it is very dense like it's really jam packed with action it is um, it is going back to earlier I also like the scene where during the destruction where you see them running through the uh the halls and then they pan out of the window and, and you see the saucer section as well. That was another cool scene. Uh, just a lot of stuff like that in the movie. It was very good. I, I want to point out the, um, you know, thus far the Kelvin movies seem to pay homage to, you know, the, the earlier Star Trek movies. And, uh, you know, this is the third movie for the, for this iteration of the crew and it mm-hmm. echoes of course Star Trek 3 where right. we lose the Enterprise where, the, the, where we lose the Enterprise big loss yep. right and um, but then it goes one step further and kind of goes into Star Trek 4 territory where you have the crew inhabiting another ship for part of the movie. Oh, yes. Which is Star Trek yeah, very 4. very reminiscent. Very reminiscent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and likewise, it's a ship that crashes into the water, uh, as it does in Star Trek 4, in order to save the day. Um, oh, that's right. And, um, and of course... And then they get a new Enterprise. And then they get the, the Enterprise end. A, which is, ex- which is the ending of, uh, of Star Trek 4. So... What do you think about now, that? I know that the, I thought that was, I thought that's very true. There were a lot of little moments, and and um, there was a musical cue at the beginning of the film. Oh, I thought that also echoed the motion picture, which I really, really? like. By the way, this, yeah, the soundtrack, Michael Giancino, the soundtrack is gorgeous. I was, I've been listening to it um, pretty regularly, and it's really, really well done. Hmm. Hmm. So the soundtrack was pretty good, too. There were a lot of little echoes of all the Star Trek films, I thought, um, throughout this movie. And, and I, I, yeah, again, I like that. And I think in, in, it, in that way, it does celebrate the 50th anniversary. Um, you know, it tries to, at least, uh, do a pretty good job. So I, I think it's time to give it our rating on our 10-point scale. And um, <laughs> I was going to go ahead. On Drunk Space Nine, I gave it a seven, and I think I'm gonna go ahead and stay and give it, a, keep it at that solid seven. So seven out of ten for me. Hmm. I have to think about this. 
Oh, okay. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't lived with the movie yet. You know, for, I mean, it's like, like you, I saw it. Um, this only came out, what, uh, a week ago? Is it a week, even? It's, it's been a week now, almost. Yeah. It'll be a week Friday since I saw it. Mm-hmm. And we're recording mm-hmm. this on the, uh, I think it's a Wednesday. I will say I give it a, I will go with your seven. Oh, wow. We're in, we're in agreement. I will give it with you. I will go, go with your seven. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Star Trek Beyond, we both enjoyed it. A good solid seven. Uh, it's a it's a fun ride through the Star Trek universe. Um, lots of interesting uh, new characters um, to explore. We didn't even talk about uh, Commodore Paris, who might be uh, um, uh, Lieutenant Paris's great uh, great great grandmother. Is it Lieutenant Paris or was he a different rank? I can't remember. Anyways, it's a nice little Voyager tie-in <laughs> there for all the Voyager fans. And, you know, just uh, overall, I think the movie really worked. Uh, for me, I think this is the most original of the new films. Um, and I look forward to going to see it again in theaters. Um, yeah. Well, you know, well, I'll debate it more when my thing is, when I'm, when I'm working better. But the when comment it, you're saying about it being the most original, I don't know. You know, the the, the first of the of the Kelvin ones, it's an original plot. I think I mean, not I plot, think it but, is, you know. Oh, I think you're you know you're you're probably right in the te- in the sense that that I think what I really mean to say is that this felt like the most Star Trek of the three for me. You know, in in that way, it felt maybe not original. I think that was the wrong choice of words, but it just felt the most, um, of the three films, it just felt the most, I guess what I meant by original is that it's so different. Like Star Trek, uh, Kelvin, uh, Kelvin, Star Trek one (laughs) is original. (laughs) It is original, but it's like, there was a lot of things that like felt a lot like, you know, uh, redone. Like the Nero was not unlike, Every other villain, uh, like Shinzon or, you know, whoever who wants to come to Earth and destroy Earth and wants to destroy the Federation. And while he had a a great reason for doing it, it just still felt like another villain that wants to come and destroy Earth. You know, well, this guy did, too. Well, well, yeah. No, well, he wanted to. He did. But again, because he didn't work as a villain, I think that's what (laughs) why the film. (laughs) I think that's why the film for me felt more original he That's doesn't a make it to Earth. Compliment. He do- <laughs> so, <laughs> because he didn't make it to like so in star trek uh you know kelvin one um villain makes it to earth you know we have the scene where the drill is drilling in next to the gold dangerously close to the golden gate bridge star trek two you have a rehash of an old villain you have khan mm-hmm. which okay i agree you with know, you 100 yeah totally you know rehashed and you have another scene on Earth at Starfleet headquarters where a ship actually crashes into San Francisco and causes a lot of destruction, right? So And here you know, we have the, the Franklin 
crashing into the Yorktown, which looks right, like Starkly Clan, and it's yeah, a it similar like... <laughs> vibe. But and it... there's water again. But it's nowhere near the amount of destruction that we saw in the other two. It also isn't Earth. And, and, and like, you know, they're foiled pretty easily. Like, I think the movie was original in that it was not, it didn't end in the way that you would expect it to. You know, where, like, you know, what what you expect from these Kelvin movies is this, like, gigantic scale of destruction. Like, you know, the, <laughs> like, the, I thought, I honestly thought the Yorktown station was a goner. Like, I was like, okay, here oh. we go. We're about to see, like, this, like, beautiful bubble snow globe station, like, you know, I bet the glass is going to shatter and all the people are going to suck, get sucked out into space or, you know, some massive amount of destruction. And then when you think about the amount of destruction that actually occurred, it's extremely light. The only thing that really is impactful is the Enterprise's destruction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which... It's not like it's not the same as before. It's it's definitely not the same as the other two. So that's what I kind of was touching at and maybe my use of original is incorrect but i definitely think that it's it's different it's on a different note and i liked it i liked that it wasn't just crazy (laughs) i did love how the franklin was going through the um i just loved those tubes tubes that the ships pass through and the franklin's going under it and this guy's you know above it and i just love the geography that we saw uh, in, in 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 play uh, yeah. in on on the Yorktown. I thought that was that added a lot to those scenes. And then uh, I want to say that I really enjoyed the the fight in zero G between Kirk and uh, and Crawl. And then yeah, yeah you had cool. the the glass, you know, going round. And then that's how Crawl realized, oh, I can just keep riding this wave. And all that, and and again, it's it's speaks to Justin Lin's command of action sequences. I think the movie has a lot of it. Really, uh, features a, a really great action, and and that's the highlight of the movie. But um, yeah, the the action sequences are technically flawless. And they're very and thrilling, uh, very, com- very thrilling. And thrilling. Yeah, they're very thrilling. Yeah, You're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think that that adrenaline keeps you going. And I think on reviewing, re- re- it will hold up. I think. I mean, obviously, I've only seen it once, um, mm-hmm. but I came away with a very good impression of the movie. Uh, so I could, yeah, seven, seven is, is the number. Nice. Holding at a seven, Captain. Mm-hmm. Warp seven, Captain. Engage. <laughs> All right. Indeed. Well, I really appreciate, despite your uh, this, your condition, you coming on the show and, and doing doing a, a commentary with me. I, it's all right, know, man. It's be a pretty boring show if it was just me talking to myself. I, I apologize <laughs> to everybody who has to listen to me and, and see this. <laughs> I think on that... On my side. I think most people will be very understanding, and uh, we just want you to get well soon, Doctor. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, great. another great discussion. I felt uh, we covered a lot of ground on Star Trek. Um, definitely going to go see it again, and maybe we could sprinkle in some additional discussion as we do our next-gen rewatches. Um, but until next time, uh, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.